a new authority on football gets its debut today, do you know what I'm talking about? You, you know, I know, because we've talked about it. No? There's a clue. Goal line technology, GDS, yeah? No more DRDs, no more dodgy refereeing decisions. This is the, this is the, this is the new super-duper Hawkeye football equivalent. GDS, it's called, Goal Decision System. Have you seen it? Have you picked it up in your papers at all? Are you bothered? It's going to mean, it means that they're overpaid and it means that they're going to know whether the ball has definitely gone over the line. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? This, this technology is going to be the authority on whether the ball has actually gone over the line. But, as soon as I say that, I have to say to you that Arsene Wenger, and there he is in the corner there, okay, is already casting doubt on the authority of this equipment. He's sceptical already. He has apparently spotted an anomaly, a problem with it, and he thinks that, uh, that therefore uh, it's not going to be uh, reliable. Um, so he's casting doubt on its authority. That's the point that I'm making there, really. Um, and I want to say to us, I want to take, take that on to us now, and I want to say, actually, this, this question of authority is something that we're always grappling with, each of us, all the time. We are all of the time making a decision as to whether we are going to accept someone's authority or something that's happening to us or not. We're always making those kind of judgment decisions. And if you don't believe me, let me give you an example. Imagine a, an ambulance pulls up outside your house and blocks your view from your house. And imagine it's there all day. Now, do you mind that that ambulance is there all day? Uh, more than likely not, because you, you, you figure that that ambulance is there for a reason and it's doing a good job. Okay? So you're making that, 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 that judgment decision, okay? Now, change the scenario. Imagine it's someone's beaten up old Ford Cortina and they pull up outside your house and they leave it there all day, right smack bang in the middle if you happen to have a view from the front where you are. How do you feel about that then? How do you feel about that then? Different, I would suggest. You're saying, you know, who gave them the right to do that? Where's their authority to do that? And what I'm saying there is, it's not some, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to think. I'm not making a value judgment on whether we should be bothered whether people pull up outside our houses. Um, uh, and you, can, you can discuss and debate that after if you like. But what I'm saying is, is an example that we're always making those kind of decisions, those judgment decisions, whether, whether someone has got the right to do that or not. You see what I mean? And that's... Uh, that's whether, whether, yeah, whether, some, whether you can accept someone's um, authority. And the reason why I've, I want to start there is because that is exactly the question that sets up the parable that we're going to look at. And we can't really understand the parable unless we understand that that's the setting of this parable. And that's why I read to you from verse 23. So have a look again down at chapter 21 and verse 23. And you'll see in the first few verses there... That, that is exactly the context, a questioning of Jesus' authority. Jesus, how, who gave you the authority, is the question that comes. And it appears three times between verses 23 and 25. If you just scan over that, you'll see three times 
they're, they're using the word authority. Who gave you the authority? And, of course, Jesus claims to have authority. He claims to have authority. He's the Messiah. And many people would say that Matthew's Gospel is all about proving, Matthew is out to prove that Jesus has authority as the Messiah, the promised King that was going to come and put things right. And we know that just by looking at the birth stories right at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. The stuff that's read out at Christmas time. And, you know, if, you look, if we went back at the beginning, Matthew's, Matthew's book here, we would, we would read time and time again. This happened to fulfill this. This happened so that this would be fulfilled and that would be fulfilled. Matthew's out to prove all the time that Jesus' authority comes right from the beginning, right from the Old Testament, that he has authority. Jesus, at this point, has just ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he's cleared out the temple. And again, in the way that it's described, and if you've got your Bible up, you can look up at that. Again, you can see that it, the, this idea of uh, this was spoken to fulfill is, 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 full, is full of that kind of language that Matthew uses. It's how Matthew begins the Gospel. In his book, he begins by giving us the kind of the, the, uh, the family tree of Jesus. Because he's setting out that Jesus has authority. He's the one with authority. It's how he ends the book of Matthew. How does the book of Matthew end? If you, if you were to go right to the end, Jesus says, Now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's how he ends. So because the book of Matthew is all about Jesus' authority. And we come to the point here where Jesus is a few days before Jesus is going to die on the cross. And the question is, who gave you the authority? Where does your authority come from? Now, there's no more important question in the whole world. Do you know, there's no more important question that you will ever face in your life. There's, do you accept Jesus' authority? There is no more important question in the whole world than that. Who has authority? Does Jesus have authority over your life? I guess many of us would say, would come here and say, yes, uh, Jesus has authority over my life. Many people would say that. And this parable, Jesus tells this parable to encourage a healthy introspection. A healthy introspection. It's as if he says, are you sure? Are you sure? Who has authority over your life? So let's get down to the parable, okay? We can think about it split up into two... Get rid of Arsene Wenger now. Split into two sections. The story itself is in verses 28 to 30. And the explanation comes in verses 31 and 32. And in this parable, it's actions which show who really has authority authority in our lives that much is obvious enough from the first few verses of the parable verse 28 what do you think Jesus says there was a man who had two sons he went to the first and said son go and work today in the vineyard I will not he answered but later he changed his mind and went And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? 
Now let's pause because that's Jesus telling the story. Take a step back a moment. Have you ever said something like, I'll do something, you've promised to do something and not done it? Yeah, quite a few times. Probably most of us, haven't we? Yeah, promised to do something. Maybe you never intended to do it. Um, perhaps more likely, you, know, you, you had good intentions at the time. You did mean to do it. But, uh, but you got distracted by something. Something came up. Yeah? Um, when I worked in the, in the bank, uh, it was in the, uh, in the 80s, and, uh, and we were encouraged, there was this buzz phrase going around at the time, which we were encouraged to, uh, 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 to, to sort of approach our work with. And it was the idea that you, uh, you under-promise and over-deliver. I quite like that. I've remembered it because I think it's quite a good motto, really. Under-promise and over-deliver. As opposed to over-promising and under-delivering. So in the service sector, in banking, or uh, you know, some of you work in the service sector, don't you? Um, uh, you know, if you, if you uh, under-promise but over-deliver, then, then people will be delighted, won't they? The problem comes when you over-promise and then you, don't, you under-deliver. You don't come through on your promises. Is that a concentrated look or is that a completely positive? Have I completely lost any? No? Are you with me? Yeah? So that was the buzz uh, word uh, in the banking and so we tried to live up to that. Of course, Nat West has got such a fantastic name. It did a great job of under-promising and over-delivering. And we might say, well, okay, is that, so that, is that the story of the parable then? Is that the point? Is Jesus saying to us in this parable, um, you've got to make sure that um, you are reliable, that you, what, what you say you do. Um, you've got to be honourable you've got to be a man or a woman of your word Um, well that's a good thing isn't it it is a good thing to be all those things but it's not the point of the parable and we know that because Jesus gives us an explanation that comes after the story and that's what we've got to to look at now so have a look with me at verse uh, 31 and following Jesus said to them I tell you the truth The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, that is John the Baptist, as I said before, came to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now I've run my mouth for a little bit now so it's time for a question to you and if you feel really brave you can try and shout out the answer if you like Um, and the question is this according to verse 31 it's a tough question I'm not sure if you're going to get this one according to verse 31 which of the sons are the tax collectors and the and the sinners like in the story here do you think which of the two sons are the is Jesus saying the tax collectors and the sinners are like and and the prostitutes Anybody want to? The second one. Was that a guess or was that a? I would actually say that is because he promised them that he didn't do it, but the other ones have said no and he didn't. So the the first son promises to do something, um, says I won't do it, and then he does it. The second son says I will do it, but then he doesn't do it. So you're thinking it might be the second son. Okay? Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts or ideas? Because it really does depend on this. What? Any other thoughts? I think it's like the first one. You think it's the first one? Why would you say it might be the first one? Because it's 
Okay. Like, we don't, not like Acton, as God wants them to, well, for here now, which is like the sun saying no, but then he do believe in the repentance, which is then the change of mind. Okay. Thanks, Kaylee. That's helpful. Anybody else want to say anything or add to what's been said or disagree or um, put in another thought? Okay. So we're thinking, you're thinking that it is it, the, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, as Jesus talks about them here, are the first son, is what John is saying there. I think, what, what, what did you say, what, what is it that you said the prostitutes and the tax collectors did, Kaylee, that in, in, in the story here, what does Jesus tell us that they did after? Yeah, that they, they repented. Can, can you tell us, show us the verse where that is? Because I think that's important for us to help us to see which is which. Where does that come, Kaylee? Verse 32. So let's have a look at it, 32 together. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, but you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Okay? So, 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 so obviously the, he's saying that the tax collectors and the prostitutes have changed now. That, that they've changed. They've repented. They've believed in, in the Lord Jesus. And that's come after. That's come after. So according to the way Jesus is describing the story, it's more likely that the, 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 the tax collectors and the prostitutes are the first son. Jesus is saying they're the first son. They're the ones who said, no, I'm not going to help, but then they changed their minds. Let's, let's, let's develop that now and let's see why, why that's the case. Let's, let's, let's have a look. I, what it seems like is happening is that at first, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, said by their lives and the way that they lived their lives, they were effectively saying that they didn't believe that God the Father and His Son Jesus had authority over them. And that much was clear from the way that they, the decisions that they'd made about their lives. So Jesus, they are in the parable here, they are the tax collectors and the prostitutes. It was very clear from God's word that those were not things which showed that they were happy to accept God's authority, which clearly said that those things were, were wrong. Well, we need to fill in a little bit and understand what the tax collectors, because actually... If you're a tax collector here today, have we got any tax collectors? Uh, we haven't got any tax collectors here. Yeah, that's not, it's not a wrong thing to be a tax collector, okay? <laughs> what I say here. But in those days, the tax collectors were a right rough bunch. They were ripping off people left, right and centre. And they were behaving in a way, and this is a general blanket term, they were behaving in a way which proved that they did not accept the authority of God. God's word, which clearly said this... There were things which were right, and there were things which were wrong. And they, they rejected uh, that authority. But, as Kaylee pointed out to us from the verse, when they heard the preaching of John the Baptist, who told them to repent, to turn from the wrong that they were doing and do right, and receive forgiveness, that is what they did. And amazingly, they are the one entering the kingdom of God. They are the one who go in through the door and it's not a revolving door and they're in and they're safe and they are part of God's forever kingdom. And that is a wonderful and a wonderful thing. It's one of the most beautiful things about the parable. It shows Jesus' incredible grace that people who rejected him were being accepted and were being part of the kingdom of God. Why does he single out tax collectors and 
and prostitutes because they were the ones that it was easy to wag the finger at in those days. You would look at them and you would say, they're terrible people. They're never going to get into the kingdom of God. And so he pulls those out simply as examples and says, it doesn't matter how bad you might think they look. They listened. They listened to my word. They believed in me. They, and they followed my word. And they are welcome in the kingdom of God. And in fact, they are going into the kingdom of God. And the people that I'm talking to, the Pharisees and the, 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 the scribes, the people who Jesus was talking to, were not welcome. In the, they weren't going to go into the kingdom of God. God. And that's the second son. The second son represents the religious leaders. They were the ones that Jesus was telling the parable to. And that's important. That's why we read from verse 23 again. So we can see who was Jesus talking to. He was talking to the Pharisees and the... Uh, um, verse 23. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees. 21-23. Chief priests and elders of the people. The religious people of the day. They looked all impressive and religious. They said and did things that made them look very religious and friends with God. But in fact they didn't believe what John had to say about them. Outwardly they looked like good obedient children of God. But inwardly they rejected his authority. And Jesus said that as long as they continued down that path they would be shut out of the kingdom of God. Well, what do we learn from the parable today? How do we apply that? We've understood the parable now. How do we apply it to our own lives? Where are we in the story? How does this fit? How does this, what does this say to me? Well, <clears throat> it's important to realise at the outset that neither of these sons is a model to follow. Jesus is telling us about two sons. He's actually saying that there are actually two ways to reject Jesus' authority. Two ways to reject Jesus' authority. One of the ways we reject Jesus' authority is by being openly rebellious. And if you've got a sheet, that'll help you. By being openly rebellious. In those days, and remember, these, these, were, these were Jewish families agricultural families if you turned around to your if you were the son and you turned around to the father and said I'm not going to help you I'm not going to get involved in the family work it was a terrible it was an openly rebellious thing to do it's not like me these days saying to my son I want you to go wash the car and he says oh I don't feel like it and you know you might think well that's a small thing in those days for the son for this first son to say no I won't was an openly rebellious thing. It was a wicked thing. It was a bad thing. The Father, of course, is a picture of God in this. And God made human beings, we looked at earlier on, to rule the world under his loving rule. And you know, we talked about the majesty of God and how small we are. And when we reject his authority, it looks pathetic, doesn't it? Pathetic, you and me, shaking our fists at God and saying, you don't have authority over me. God made you, and he, ha he, made, he has authority over us. And when we reject that, well, it's like open rebellion. It's open rebellion. 
we were watching uh, Nemo over the, um, over the holidays. I haven't watched it for ages. You remember that film? Uh, with the little fish, and he swims up to the boat, um, and his dad's telling him, don't, don't swim near the boat, don't swim near the boat, and he goes closer and closer to the boat. And, uh, and, and he's got that look of rebellion in his eyes, and eventually he taps his little fin on the side of the boat. And his dad's saying, don't do it, don't do it. And he taps, and that look of open rebellion in his face. And of course what happens next is he, he gets caught and, and so begins the cycle which makes the film so interesting. But it's that, it's that picture of open rebellion. Human beings, you and I, when we, when we reject God's loving authority over us, that is, that is open rebellion. When we knowingly reject his loving rule over us. And if you're living like that, if you're here this morning and you're living like that, you know how it messes you up. Uh, and it messes other people up around you. And the truth, of course, is that God won't let it go on indefinitely. That's why death came into the world. And that would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? To, that would be a terrible place to end a message like that today. Except that God so loved the world that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into it. So that in our open rebellion against God, we could receive forgiveness. That's the great thing about this parable, isn't it? Even in open rebellion against him, we could know the forgiveness of God. He lived a perfect life. He never, he never rejected his father's authority. And when he died on the cross, he bore the punishment that you and I deserve so that we wouldn't have to. So that all who trust in him, as evidenced by a life lived desiring to live under his authority, will be saved forever. And the wonderful thing about this parable is that the people who knew that was them and they turned to God sorrowful for their sin. In the parable here, that's the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. When they turned to God and they said, enough of that way of life, I'm not going to live like that any longer. From now on, with God's help, I'm going this way. I'm turning around. I'm turning my back on that way of living. I'm going to follow him. Well, Jesus said they enter the kingdom of God, that forever kingdom. And that is your invitation this morning. That invitation is there to you. If you know you're being openly rebellious against God's loving authority over, over you, that is the best invitation you will get all of your life. And it's there this morning in this parable. And I'm holding it out to you this morning, whoever you are. That is God's invitation to enter his kingdom. But another way that we can reject Jesus' authority, and it's much more subtle, is to be outwardly religious. And the second son represents the religious leaders. They were doing all sorts of good things. They were looking really good, but God looks on the heart, of course. He knows what's going on deep in our hearts. And the one thing that they needed to do like the openly rebellious people, is that they needed to repent and accept Jesus' loving authority over them. But they wouldn't do that. So the good things they did weren't good at all. When are we most like that? Because that's a dangerous position to be in. Do you know, God, in this parable, Jesus says, those people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They will not enter the kingdom of God. And that's a terrible... That, is a, we, that ought to make us tremble. It ought to make us ask, when might we most be like that? 
When might we be outwardly religious? Well, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus summarizes some of the problems of the outwardly religious people when he gives seven woes. And if you've got your Bible, you could flick forward if you want to see it. Seven woes in chapter 23. We're not going to go through them in detail, but I'm going to paraphrase them, and I'm going to ask you, as I've asked myself the question, do these sound like me sometimes? Do these sound like me sometimes? We are most like the openly religious people when... We make entering the kingdom of God about doing good things first. About being and doing things before accepting the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we feel good about having been to church. Or when we feel good about having read our Bibles. Or having said our prayers. Or having gone to this meeting or this prayer meeting or whatever it might be as though it's something that we can tick off and say I've done that we ought to those things are good things and we ought to be glad they ought to make our hearts glad but you know the difference don't you you know what I mean by this don't you there is a difference between those things making our hearts glad and those things which make us glad because there's something that we can tick off yeah You know what I mean? There is a difference, isn't there? We are most like the openly religious when we're like that. Or, or when we show no interest in sharing the gospel of grace because we really don't believe it. Because we really think when we look out on other people around us, well, God's not really going to save them because they're not really good enough. They're not really, they don't really, they don't reach a standard that shows that they're good enough. So God isn't really going to break into their hearts and lives and reach them. And so actually, our, our, the evidence over the last year of our reaching out to other people is perhaps almost nothing. Why is that, really? Is it because we don't really believe in the grace of God and we're not living in the truth in the light of it? Is that a sign that we might be ourselves outwardly religious? Or when you've ever felt smug or superior over someone, have you ever thought that? Yeah, I'm better than so and so. I look out on other people and say, I'm better than them. Because they don't go to church, or they don't do this, or they don't do that. Or this is a very clear one. It's as though those doors there are the entrance to the kingdom of God. And when we come through them in the morning, on a Sunday morning, we enter the kingdom of God. And when we go out of them, we go out of the kingdom of God. And we live the rest of our week as though it had no effect on our lives whatsoever. So it's kind of where we compartmentalise our lives, so that church is just something we do on a Sunday, and the rest of the life, the rest of the week, God's kingdom has no effect on my life whatsoever, really. Apart from the odd little bit of reading here, and the odd little thought there. It doesn't affect the real gritty things of my life. The Bible isn't about... It isn't about religious experiences. It's about life, things that happen in life. It's about food. It's about the choices you make about what you eat. It's about the choices you make with your money. It's about the choices you make when it comes down to sex and relationships. It's about the the choice you make when you buy a, a house or buy things for your house. It's about 
your relationship with the people that you're sat next to and in your family, in your home, it's about real life stuff. The kingdom of God is, a, if it's going to affect you, it's going to affect those areas of your life. It's not about a religious experience. So in all those gritty areas of your life, how is the kingdom of God having an impact? Is it having an impact? That's the question, isn't it? That's the question that this parable demands of us and asks us. Or, or when we fail at the most basic level to love, like 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to love. That beautiful passage, 1 Corinthians 13, love. Love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God, I could stop there, couldn't I? Is your love like that? Love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians love. Today they would look like good religious people people Jesus was talking to and he said to them you will not enter the kingdom of God and they'd be in church most Sundays they would be in church most Sundays those people that Jesus was talking to who's the closest to eight here who's the closest to eight George come out here's a pound for you is difficult to detect but it's rejecting Jesus all the same it is just the same it's rejecting Jesus and in this parable Jesus reserves his strongest warning for those people shut us out shut out of the kingdom of God now I'm going to finish now because we said we would finish we're a little bit behind how can I wrap this up First of all, let us not deny the incredible grace in this parable. People who are openly rebellious against God's loving authority receive forgiveness and enter God's forever kingdom. That's the message in this parable. And it is a wonderful message, isn't it? Hallelujah and Amen. It's a wonderful message, isn't it? And if you've, been a, if you've known your open rebellion and you've repented and you've come into that kingdom, you know that that is the most wonderful thing. And it is a joy. And it is not, a, and you can't lose it. You can't lose it. That is fantastic. 
But Jesus in these parables always encourages an introspection, a healthy introspection, and asks us to examine the question. And we've got to do that, haven't we? We've got to do that. Without denying that tremendous grace, are we still being openly rebellious, even though it doesn't look like it? Are we still re- are we reju- re- are we refusing Jesus's authority and looking to all the world like we're not? In a few days after this, Jesus would go to the cross, and he would be hung on the cross, and he would be gone from them. In a few days, and or, you know that Jesus has had trouble with the Pharisees right from the beginning. And even with a few days to go, he's still holding out to them. And he's he's pleading with them and saying, he's giving them a chance. He's saying, you are being openly religious and rebellious. And you will be shut out of the kingdom of God. But I'm giving you a chance, he's saying to them in this parable. And time is running out for them. And time is always running out for us. The decision always comes to us too. Time is running out for you and I. It's our actions which show really whether Jesus is Lord or not. Not what we say, not how we look, or even our good intentions. It is what we might simply call the obedience of faith. It is me saying, and maybe this is you this morning, yeah, I can see that I'm in danger. There are are some things there that I've heard that put me, you know, that are dangerous. But I do love Jesus, and I do want him to be my Lord. And I am going to... Here and now I'm going to say, with his help, yeah, I want to live in your kingdom and I want to do what you say. That's what it's about. Will you do what he says? Will you do what he says? If you want to follow this up this week, have a look in Matthew chapter 6, the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about what his kingdom is like. Will you do what he says in there? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But will you do it? Will you do it? Will you do what he says with his help? The real Christian life is trying, failing, repenting, receiving forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ and trying again. It is all of those things. But are you really wanting to do what he says? Are you really wanting to do what he says? Will you say yes this morning? I'm going to, I'm going to, with his help, I'm going to do what he says. I want to follow him. He is going to be my Lord. He's going to be my Lord. Here's a practical idea. One practical idea to take away. After each sermon, from the autumn or from now, why don't you say, I'm going to write down an application. Something that I I should do with God's help as a result of the sermon that I've heard. Something that God has laid on my heart and I should do. Why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you write that down and then during the week keep going back to it and examine have I done that, have I done that, have I done that? Ask yourself the question. It's, it's very simple, isn't it? Have I done what God says I should do? Am I living his word? But do we go away on Sunday and we don't even, we don't even capture the things that God wants us to do because we just we don't think it's important? Let me, why don't you do that? Why don't you write it down in your Bible notes an application, one thing I should do. Maybe today's is, the one thing I should do is do what he says. <laughs> Just put it simply that. When I, come, when I come across what God says in his word, I'm going to do it. Because that's how, I'm, how I, I know that I'm living in his kingdom and he's my Lord. Yeah? 
Well, it's a practical idea. You can take it away with you, perhaps you will. Perhaps you won't. I, I don't know how you, how, how, wh- how your, what your response is to what we've heard. But we're going to sing. We're going to sing to finish. But why don't you uh, just take a moment for yourself, in, in the quietness of your own heart, just to ask God to, um, well, do, do business with God about what he said to you during this message what you need to think about, what you need to take away. And then I'll introduce the last song, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be finished. Thank you for your patience.